Hello you. Hello you. It's the end of November. Here we are again. Isn't it? I'm so excited to be here. I've had one of those funny old days, you know. Not every now and again, I've been like, oh, "What's going on this evening?" I'm recording with Louise, and it's just been such a lift. So, just wanted to launch off with a thank you. Oh, well, that's wonderful that's to be lovely here. Lovely to hear. I, likewise, actually, likewise, I have been really looking forward to this. I love, I love the fact that we have, we actually talk. You know, even in these pandemic kind of anxious about well I don't know about you but anxious about going out because of COVID times um you know we we talk once a month we have a really good conversation at least once a month I love that we do at least and physical conversations not just not just the twits or the links or I was about to say the faces but one doesn't use the faces so or the meta whatever the hell it's called this week oh yeah whatever yeah whatever I'm not interested anymore I'm bored Talking about getting people together, one of the things that you did, which was totes awesome, was it last year was the year before? It's 2020. 2020. Is that last year? That's still last year. That's still is, last year, yes. Yeah, for listeners who are catching up, this is November 2021. I should have said that at the beginning. Yes, totes. So last year, what seems, seems like a very strange time ago, you were involved in the most amazing poetry project. I was. I was. I was incredibly lucky to find myself involved with a bunch of incredible poets who were all also who all have or are still working in the NHS and it was totally serendipitous how it came about and even the editors of this of the poetry collection these are the hands didn't understand why I was why I was interested or I was prepared to give up my time um and it was because a very good friend of mine is a contributor to the anthology um and the 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 anthology launched the day after lockdown was announced in the UK, which is kind of the God timing was. was kind of either perfect or the biggest. The world's like you know like a cosmic joke, an anthology about the kind of blood, sweat, and tears, the joy and the laughter and the humanity of working in the NHS. Um, the the you know it launched the day after lockdown started in twenty twenty, and of course the physical launch event was there for postponed in fact it still hasn't happened um so it's and it is yeah so anyway we we ran a community event online so that's right the poets I could remember perform their poetry and people could hear it um and i have spotted that um there's a live broadcast event so it's there is an in-person event um i'm not quite sure where it is it will not be not be in a bit of the country i could get to and also a, an online event um for kind of promoting the anthology and it's got some amazing people in the lineup so miriam margulies who i didn't know anything about wow. until i recently listened to um her on louis theroux's grounded podcast amazing um, yeah it's just she's incredible she's incredible she um, is She's in a great TV series at the moment with Alan Cummings. I could thoroughly recommend it. Oh, what's he called, sorry? Getting Lost in Scotland. Oh, okay. Like that. Well, that sounds interesting. I might I might look that up. Um, Vanessa Redgrave. Um, another, again, amazing. I mean, it's just... They've got George some amazing Rock. people to um, to read the poetry. And I don't know who Mark Thomas is. Uh, maybe you know Mark Thomas. But anyway, I'm sure he's... Mark Thomas, the comedian. Who, as what? in Possibly something then. to do with tanks. That's really bad. I think I wrote a book a few years ago, something about... I seem to remember tanks being in the title. It, it could be. I'm not at Ooh. all familiar with the name, but given the kind of, you know, the um, the calibre of, of the other two, I'm thinking I probably should know who he is. Ah, and, just, I'm doing, I'm, doing, I'm doing the Googles. No. Well, just, so I'm just going to... I'm going to plug this because I have so much love for the poets... Um, and the editors of the anthology. It's, it's part of um, a big, the bigger picture, which is a funded project that aims to kind of bring more humanities and more arts and culture into kind of the world of the world of um, healthcare. Um, by the fabulous Katie Emile, who is wonderful, and, and Deb Alma is co-editor with her, who also runs the Poetry Pharmacy. Anyway. The whole thing is fantastic. The people involved are absolutely lovely and, you know, have worked so hard both on this and in their NHS jobs. Um, And you can listen to these fabulous, fabulous people reading these amazing um, human, very accessible poems on the 9th of December from 8 o'clock for absolutely free. 
um, you know, what's not to like. So I'll share the share the link in the show notes and and just yeah, if you fancy a bit of a bit of very human poetry from the comfort of your own home, um, definitely, definitely tune in. That's very exciting. I mean, some of, some of those names. That's just. It's mm. like that's I'm not kind of um, considering how kind of homegrown the event that I did was, um, and because yeah, it had to be, it, it you know, it really wasn't a launch event. It was just kind of a an, an attempt to to get the community together. Um, and we thought we might as well share it with the world. But con- considering kind of that, this will be kind of like, you know, totally at the other end. It will be beautifully produced, amazing people, um, you know, kind of people reading, um, trained, you know, people are trained, trained to do broadcasting and presenting and stuff. And, and yeah, it should be great. Fantastic. Oh, brilliant. Look out for the link. And obviously we'll yeah, share the link through the socials as well yeah. as the socials and show notes. Try saying that three times after Guinness or two. <laughs> Other drinks are available, obviously. <laughs> the Guinness has gone vegan. Guinness it's very exciting. Choice, would it? I I'm fairly certain. Oh, 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 oh I don't know. It's oh. now that it's gone vegan. It's, is it it's, vegan now? It's good for you. Oh, yes, oh. it has gone vegan. Guinness is apparently good for you because it contains iron. And apparently you can live on Guinness and Marmite. I've not tried it. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. And I doubt it's nutritionist's yeah. advice. But they apparently contain all the good things you need to maintain a, a life. Guinness has a mm. it has a special place. Well, I wouldn't turn down I wouldn't turn down a cold Guinness, let's put it that way. Yeah, well, I quite enjoy a cold Guinness as well. Well while we're while we're on the subject. This sounds like the start of a plan, quite frankly. <laughs> I think that's the next podcast. We'll talk <laughs> and drink Guinness. How about that? What could possibly go wrong? Uh, the next Lordy, the next one could be our, our Christmas special. Oh well. Indeed. Episode 12. <gasps> 12. Really? Oh. Yeah, this is 11. We did 10 last time. Don't you remember that was clapping? <laughs> I do remember. So when did we start these? So we must have uh, started in January. I guess so. Because yeah. we've done one of them. Yeah, we must have done. Yeah, roughly. Give or so take. We didn't clock that at all. Even when I we did know. the 10th episode in October. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, the problem with months. They get they get away from you after a while. I keep going. They, yeah, they just keep rumbling on. Bastards. Hey, hey. Never mind. Anyway. But yes, we, we will say so. That, yes, a, a fascinating diversion there that listeners will add to their That was the light relief selection audio. of audio. <laughs> it'll, it'll go down in the, in the, the great audio moments of history, I'm sure. But um, so, uh, yes, if listeners wish to join the, the Guinness, and non alcoholic varieties are available. Other, other options are also available, or just sit in. We'll be doing something, I'm sure. There may be party hats, who can say? Oh, party hats and cocktail umbrellas, maybe. Oh, as long as it's not got that bloody clove thing again, I'm okay. <laughs> not so. I, I listened back to that 70s clove episode the other day. I'm amazed we managed to get through it, quite honestly. What, without <laughs> spraying the pumps all over our laptops? Yeah. <laughs> oh. To be honest, it was more towards the end when I took that fatal final swig and it was just my tongue just went completely utterly numb. Was yeah, like, what did you do that for? Honestly. <laughs> well, I try. I wanted to check if it was as bad as you thought at first. <laughs> yeah. Like a small child, is that hot? Oh yes, it's still hot. Yes, <laughs> this, are we nearly there yet? <laughs> With God. extra numbing now. <laughs> I know, but I know what I know what I need if it, if I have to have a root canal or something. I'll just delve into the random seventies cocktail collection. Indeed, we sh- we should probably talk about something a little bit more sensible, shouldn't we? We should. We should. What 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 do you fancy, Louise? Shall we do design or shall we do grounded marketing first? What do you fancy? What's let's let's talk grounded marketing first, oh. um, because it sparked some fantastic comments and conversation on LinkedIn. Um, so Neil shared a uh, a, a Harvard Business Review article on LinkedIn um, on grounded marketing, which I had not. It that was the first time I'd heard that. Um, but there was quite a lot of conversation and quite a lot of people who were already quite up on the concept of grounded mm. marketing. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was interesting, hence I suppose, hence posting it. I try and post things that are not rubbish. Um, that's a good aim, grounded, isn't it? Not rubbish. That's, that should be my tagline for life, really. Just don't be rubbish. Um, but it, it's one of those sort of weird things that kind of caught my eye because the headline on it, I think, um, oh, why we buy products connected to place, people and past lovely mm. bit of alliteration um it, well this is kind of caught my eye obviously kind of interested in urbanism interested in people's kind of cognitive and emotional and physical links to the places they are and the people around them um and also the, the past thing i find that 
quite fascinating. And so it kind of jumped up. And then there was this kind of groundedness marketing. I was like, God, is this another term? Is this like the blue sky thinking that we're going to have to jam into every slide pack? I'm a bit worried about that, but yeah. We're doing groundedness marketing. Okay, fine. But actually, I mean, the research itself was was quite interesting. And it is basically talking about how there's this whole trend that people want to buy products that are connecting them with places they've been, particularly places they lived, um, people and a part, I'll call it a past for the time, but we'll kind of get into the nostalgia thing in, in a bit, I'm sure. Um, and it's a, a bit of a reaction to the globalization and digitization. And to be honest, I think a bit of a reaction to the whole COVID 19 thing, where mm. frankly, we've not been able to get out and buy the little knickknacks that we want to, or we've not been able to, if we're not buying knickknacks, just go down the local shops and, and see a person, interact with a person, buy a something, even if it's not anything interesting that's, I don't know, kitchen roll. You've still got that thing, oh, I'll go to my local co op and, and buy a pack of kitchen roll. Mm. It doesn't have to be anything wonderful um and so yeah it could have, it could have caught my eyes I, I checked it out on linkedin just to see what what people had um what people how they were reacting to it um and yeah we had, to, had some great ones so nitra came back uh tim's stop of course uh tom you came back as, as well you guys were talking about pepperidge farms that's all oh, i don't know anything about oh, that pepperidge um, farm. tom I, that made me laugh to myself in front of my laptop every now and then my other half just kind of must think I, i'm just going a bit nuts <laughs> And I, I Chuckling in the corner. It's awesome. So yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't come across that. Rob Tight also picked up the article and, and posted mm. it on, so we'll stick a link to his work. Uh, Thibaut, uh, Stephen Vasconcellos came in and Jay Lomasano as well. So I had a really nice kind of discussion with people. And I, from the discussion, I found it really interesting that, as you say, this wasn't a, a thing that people were surprised about. Yeah. But they'd obviously been dealing with dealing with it in different ways. Nidra posted an article she'd written in, I think it was 2007, which is fab. We'll, we'll stick in the, the show mm, notes. Yeah. Um, talking about kind of nostalgia. And actually, I found it really interesting that the discussion thread was around the past element of this research, as opposed to the people in place. So that's, it was just an interesting observation, I suppose. Um, mm. I haven't got any other data about it. I was just like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and yeah, about how to kind of harness that nostalgia, how to look back to... An imagined past, I and mean, we've you and I, Louise, have spoken on this podcast, and many other commentators have spoken about <clears throat> keep America great again. <clears throat> um, <laughs> but oh, some of the Tory ideology in this country that looks back to this imagined past when things were a bit rosier, people were more connected, um, kind of a, a yeah, Baz Luhrmann sunscreen. Just if you listen yeah, to that, that still holds up. The kind of politicians went philander, you'll be nice to your neighbours, children were nice. Um, all that, all that kind of stuff, and how tapping into that, and I think the example you then brought in with the Pepperidge Farm, was it Pepperidge Farm remembers, um, how that's really powerful, how it dredges up these emotions that make people do certain things. Mm, yes. And yeah. So, yeah, it's what? like, oh, I kind of, I get, I get what they were talking about, which was yeah. nice. Yeah, and it's, it's a, I think it's a really useful, it's really useful to name it, um, because then you can play with it a bit, look into it, look at the data. And it, it did. It also reminded me very much, Neil, of the things that we were talking about when we were working together for a local authority. Um, place and people were very important mm. um, in, in in terms of communications and marketing um, around that. So maybe, and you know, and I think feeling connected to the place that you live is very very important for people um and feeling and, and being able to step back into a mindset where you feel connected to places you have lived or places that have been important to you um you know place places really really important and we kind of it's kind of obvious i think and kind of self-evident that the people in our lives are important to us and i, I think that's been covered in many different ways so perhaps not with this um kind of in this triangle you know, kind of places, uh, people is kind of obvious, but place, I think, is is less so. I don't agree, and I think it's... One of the reasons I threw it out to actually that specific group of people is that, aside from the fact I thought they'd bring something really interesting to the discussion, and they did, I know quite a lot of them have moved around, so I was interested in just kind of in not mm-hmm. tapping. I didn't... Jeremy didn't guide the discussion in that direction, but I was like, oh, how do... Are people picking up on place? How is it How is it working through? And I thought it was interesting with... Uh, couple of comments stuck in my head like tim stock was talking about abstract disconnectedness i was like oh i like this time and i don't so i I don't know if i read 
read that comment very ah. carefully, but I, I don't understand that. What is abstract disconnectedness? Sorry, it wasn't. It was abstract. It was an abstract loss narrative. Sorry, I'll get them a bit ah. to bit. Stuff. It was an abstract loss narrative. It was residual disconnectedness. Total mm. source. Um, oh, you just made a portmanteau of them. Copy me in notes. Copy that handwriting. I should have been a doctor. I tell you. Um, but I thought that was into so the residual disconnectedness. Um, about how we're feeling, we are feeling disconnected, and then that makes an undercurrent. And to fill that undercurrent, really, then kind of buying stuff to put mm-hmm. in it, and that abstract loss narrative. Again, we feel a loss, but we can't always name it. And I think in the pandemic, that's affected a lot of people in different ways. That you don't, you mourn perhaps, and so many people have mourned the loss of a person. So many people have mourned, Lord, God, mourned the loss of freedom. Just like, mm-hmm. I want to go out, me, I do something. But there's all the other million other losses, and it's that in my head. There's that phrase: "What's it? Death by a thousand small cuts." So there are a million other losses that the pandemic has brought out away from the big trauma. There's mm-hmm. the little bit about you know, not seeing the, the people who run the local corner shop, and so we didn't for months. And we just all got to them quite well. We moved to Brighton, and suddenly you don't see them, or it's not just phoning up someone going, "Do you fancy popping out for a walk or a drink or, or whatever?" Yes, yeah. you can get on Skype, you can get on Zoom, it's a, but it's a different kind of thing. And so then there's this abstract thing that's very hard to name that starts to underline it. But one of the things that was interesting, I, I kind of had all this in my head, and I was I was thinking there's something that made me slightly cross, and Tim put it, and put it in his comments at exactly the time I was getting a bit cross about it. He said, connectedness requires a price to enter. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Because in that article, they were talking about the people, the people in their panels who would pay up to 60% extra for a bar of soap that was made mm. locally. And I was like, ah, now, now we're talking price. Now we're talking privilege. Now we're talking society and strata of society. So I, oh, there's, so, there's so much, there's so much in there. But that piece about price, there mm. are a lot of people in this universe who would like to buy soap, I'm guessing there's big soap, from a local artisanal maker who they can go out and meet, they can go to, I don't know, needle makers in Lewis, go see the person who's made the soap, pick up the soap, buy it. That soap costs three quid a bar. It cleans as well as, in some cases, artisanal soap, as well as the 50p a bar that you can buy mm-hmm. in the local supermarket. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. And actually, this idea, and I find this really fascinating, of this piece about localism, about artisanality, God, is that word again? Um, but that kind of local makers... <laughs> oh yes but the, the local farm so the, the farm to fork movement mm. in the states and you, you buy your carrots from the, the farm 10 miles down the road absolutely yes but you do that in brighton and you pay four times as much per kilo so actually the people there are a lot of people who are obviously very um economically stressed they can't mm. afford to do it there's other people who they think it's carrots it's soap why do i want to pay five times as much Yes, I get there's that bigger systems piece around it. And by supporting the local economy, you're essentially supporting yourself and all of that. And the regenerative pieces that come in there, as, as Stephen said, sort of regenerative practice is the story of place. So any, any business, any um, anyone who says, oh, we're, we're being regenerative, open, above, sustainable, they're telling the story of place because it's going back in there, regenerating place. But there's such a piece of privilege around this mm. and such a, a price barrier to enter. I was like, oh, this is fascinating because then when you come back to that groundedness marketing and it's all very well and good, but if you suddenly price people out or you put other barriers in place that make it so that only certain people, let's say in England, the hemp wearing hipsters, only they can afford these certain products to make them part of that club to reinforce their sense of self-identity mm. that I'm the sort of person who buys from farmers markets. If you suddenly exclude a lot of people and 60% markup on soap, to exclude most people that's problematic for me there's a whole there's so many there's so many different threads in there that i'm kind of hearing and and one one of the things that struck me when i read the article is that so i can be i am i am often routinely quite cynical about marketing which sometimes presents problems for me as a marketer but um <laughs> yeah that's my problem still with right that's fine i own that but um one of my kind of cynical thoughts about it was, oh well, you know, if um, if many of if many of the world's marketers and marketing departments jump on groundedness as a way to increase their market share, even to increase the you know their kind of uh, to inform their pricing strategy for for a product, um, then you know, there's quite a high risk of 
groundedness well you know I mean actually yeah so that with a kind of a, a a groundedness or an authenticity washing kind of a phenomenon <laughs> isn't there and you know we've kind of we've got we've seen green washing we've seen um color washing as in you know people's skin pigment washing we've seen you know so I, what, and the, my my resistance, I said earlier, it was good to name it, to good, you know, to call, talk about grounded marketing. But my resistance to naming things is that once they've been named, they become a bandwagon um, mm. that, you know, that's kind of is is easier, easier to jump on. And it's easier to talk about and, and communicate the value or see the value of jumping on that bandwagon. And and I try, I try not actually to bring that into conversations too much because it it very easily kind of turns into really just quite cynical kind of like oh, you know it's all a bit shit really isn't it? <laughs> um, I don't, and you know that's not very productive or very helpful. So while I think you know this, I, I think what it comes back to for me is is a, an overused word, um, but I mean it in its purest. Is authenticity? You know, is yes. is there truly a connection to people, places? um and what was the third one people place past past yeah is there truly people place and past in your products and and is that really part of um your company personality and what your products are born of or not because if it is great you know go ahead with grounded marketing if it isn't no why don't you try thinking about you know really dig into what you know what is the what is the purpose? What's the mission behind your company and what you're doing? I mean, I, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, kind of it, it's kind of got to come from within the company and the products, yeah. not from without. Oh, that you know, I'll be able to sell more stuff if I use a yeah. grounded marketing approach. Absolutely, I think you. I mean, you hit the nail on the head brilliantly with bandwagoning. Actually, eco washing, pink washing, either mm. sort of LGBTQ plus pound mm. dollar, whatever. All of those washes are designed to sell more stuff to more people more often. In about ninety nine point nine nine recurring percent of the time, there's a few there's a few brands who hold purpose to their core. Yeah, um, again, I think there the, are the, some, aren't there? But there's a whole lot that don't. Yeah, exactly. And actually, if you look in, you look at them a bit more deeply. Um, again, we were, we were looking at I don't know, laundry detergent or something the other day, and it was sort of oh, lovely. Natural smells, da, da da da, and on the back it says, "Do not let it, <laughs> do not let it into the water supply. It kills fish." Uh, peeps, this is laundry. I mean, and this was one of the big brands. This is one of the. You're going to put it on the brands. consumer to not use your sodding laundry product. Yeah, ex- in exactly. This is like, hmm, that's bad. That's like the but UK laundry. government's approach to coronavirus. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes. I'm not going to say anymore. Oh. Controversial. Um, <laughs> it did. You bailed it. Yes, indeed. Mm, yes. <laughs> you don't have to agree with me. That's all right. I'm quite. No, I, I am. I'm, ju- I'm just struggling to think. Of, I'm, I'm about to go back <laughs> into a job in local government. I need to behave myself. Um, although it's it's a different flavour. It's whatever. It's it's marvellous. It's all fine. Um, <laughs> but no, I, yeah, that's quite, quite quite all right. It's it's what we're here to do. It's fun. Um, but yeah, so it is that it is that piece about washing. The other thing, just go back to the article, I thought was really interesting, and why I, I kind of curated that that group of folk who moved around. I was really interested in the past piece because mm. I. I it, and I understand being grounded. Now, don't get me wrong. I actually quite like I quite like the concept of this groundedness marketing. It links back to some stuff I was looking at years and years and years ago about community network marketing and how different bonds, different social structures, and there's the bond to place and there's bond to people. Then brands can play in those spaces and all that good stuff. But I thought it was interesting with the place piece and a few people who moved around. So. Um, Mm. Tebow happened to mention about buying, I think he said he bought a hoodie at the supermarket his grandfather shopped in back in the 60s. That's all. Oh, you've not said you've not said this. Let's dig a bit gently. Mm. Um, and then he said, yeah, he's, he's moved a lot in his life. But it was then his connection back to the story. Mm. So I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. Because then the thing is not necessarily that you're talking about the geographical place where this supermarket is, that it's been there since the 60s or it's moved around a bit. But it's the, the big box, let's call it the big box. In the, on the on the high street, but it's your connection back to that story, and that story is rooted mm-hmm. in the people. And so, actually, your yeah. story is not one of place, but it's the one of of people. And as someone, I mean, I don't, I don't feel. I was about to say grounded. That's the wrong word. Settled. Also, the wrong word. I'm happy to move around. So, work wise, mm-hmm. I'm an interim. That's all good. Spent eleven years, eleven years living in Worthing. Um, 
got out of where they went to Brighton, moved out of Brighton, Seaford, and then we're sort of thinking kind of where next, how does the next kind of few years kind of pan out with, with work and jobs and moving. So I'm not rooted in place. I haven't got that kind of deep-seated thing of I must stay in this square mile box and whatever. So I'm always really interested in, in how people have that connection. It's the connection back through the stories. Mm, so, yeah, stories are really important, aren't they? Because one of the other things that um, I've been thinking as we've been talking is um, through, you know, it's the start of the pandemic and through, through the pandemic, um, something that's become much clearer to me is why it matters to me to support local businesses and so you know and and i'm gonna have to say you know based on what you said earlier about privilege you bringing privilege into the conversation which is really you know really important and a good reminder for me i am privileged enough that i you know i can afford to spend a bit more money on um locally produced products made in smaller batches that are therefore more expensive um and and actually for me it's been as a small business kind of owner myself as a freelancer I've really connected with over the last few years with the story of how important it is for all of us to be able to make a reasonable living and how important it is for all of us to value our own time and our own expertise and for that to be reflected in the prices that that you know that we put on our products Mm -hmm. and the prices that the price that people pay us so that story for me of recognizing the human activity and the human need behind the products that I buy um that's important and it, and it also it may you know it makes me feel kind of literally more connected more involved in a web or a network um and and that you know that's that's really good for me that's that that's a good feeling for me that's a good part of my life and I so I've, I've been kind of thinking about that and, and I think that's it's about it's about the, you know the story what story am I uh, kind of Am I weaving for myself around why I might choose to? I'm trying to think of a recent example. Why I might choose to buy some Christmas cards from a local artist um, that I saw advertised in a local Lewis magazine. And in fact, the, the artist, Rachel Clark's the artist, she designed the cover for a local Lewis magazine. Um, and her, you know, her website was advertised. So I went and had, had some lovely Christmas cards. And I thought, right, I'm going to buy some Christmas cards from her. And and actually, the lovely thing about that was that the very next day, someone delivered by hand um, wow. the you know the Christmas cards that that I'd bought. And I kind of I was sitting here at my desk and I spotted him. It clearly wasn't Rachel because it was it was um it was a guy. And uh, and he walked up to the front door. And in fact, I think I opened the door to him because he knocked on the door. And I I said, oh, that's absolutely lovely. Thank you. So. I feel very connected, even though I've never met Rachel Clark, the artist, but I feel very connected um, because nice. of that that kind of lovely occurrence. And I think that's where brands and marketing have that power, and advertising, obviously, comes to advertising in that case. And it can form those connections. But to come back to your point, it has to be authentic. Yeah. It has to be meant. And I think there's been a lot, and obviously, now talking, no brand names come to mind. But there's been there's kind of been a lot where brands have tried to kind of co-opt that. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, there, there is one. There's a I can't remember, I cannot remember for the life of me what it's called, but it's a um, a Tesco supermarket owned brand. So rather than badging stuff under their own brand or value label, they mm-hmm. gave it. I want to say Blackbridge Farms. It wasn't Blackbridge. It was something similar, but it sounded like a farm. Yeah, it's not a farm. I mean, no. it, carrots come from farms. One assumes, um, but yeah. So they, they obviously come from things, but this thing, this entity, was uh, is an entire work of fiction, um, as far as I can remember. It was it was created for the sole purpose of just badging something, and that was kind of quite sad because um, oh, wow. you could see that co option, um, and so and there are genuine heritage brands out there. There are local brands, and these things do mean something, and they mean something to consumers. We've seen it in obviously this bit of research. We've seen it in. I mean, there's loads of behaviour change research as well about sort of power of messenger effects and context mm-hmm. and all those sort of really interesting things and sort of some of the biases we hold of I don't know oh I bought it in London or I'm going to London therefore the clothes I buy in London are better than the clothes I buy in Skegness whatever it might be the same seamstress and uh, seems uh, maker and so on but actually the fact that you're buying it in the big city mm-hmm. it comes with another label it comes with another set of brand associations etc so yeah it was a really fascinating article it's a really lovely discussion actually with the, the LinkedIn crew Oh yeah, really, really lovely. I really, I really enjoyed reading everyone's comments. And you know, I didn't, I didn't have much to contribute my, myself, uh, apart from telling Tom that he 
just make me howl with laughter. But um, yeah, I, I, I did really enjoy reading reading all the comments. So thank you very much to everyone who shared it. Oh, and, and I, I, I read I read Nedra's um, the article that that Nedra shared, and um, that was also really good read. It was, wouldn't it? So we'll put the, we'll put the link for, for that in the show notes. And of course, the, the other thing, I mean, this is all, God, this is almost like we planned it. This is scary. So one of the, the things around um, people, place and past, especially past, <laughs> see where I'm going in a moment, um, local government logo design. Oh, now, so that that post, so that was, it was Tim Ridgway who shared that, wasn't it? Um, yes, the marvellous Mr Ridgway. Yes, that post. Um Yes, I still haven't looked through the whole list yet. So I suppose the context is the the writer. Um, I don't know who it is, mm. Robin or Robin Wild. There we go. Uh, they build themselves as a freelance writer and graphic designer once worked in politics. Has ranked and rated every single local government authority logo in the country. Totally objectively, according to totally objectively. Person. Apparently, there's three hundred ninety nine of them, which is interesting. So about three hundred. The low 300 number of councils. Hey, what do I know? Um, ah, they've also taken Wales in. That's why. Oh, oh good God, the Bridge End one is like a slap to the eyeball. <laughs> wow. um, Some of them are hilariously bad. They are. I mean, obviously, the one I, the one I was involved with, uh, beautifully, Adrian, Adrian Worthing, comes in at about number 90. So that's 400. Oh, I think that's quite impressive. Tipping the top 25%, we'll take that. And, and that was uh, a project we worked on with the marvellous Mr. Scott Winterberg, who I think you've worked with as well. I have. In fact, I commissioned Scott for the latest rebranding project that I did, and the results are absolutely fabulous. So, yeah, I just, just get my little plug in for Scott there because I think Scott and Spitfire Creative are yeah, fantastic. They the, are. The, thing I, the thing that strikes me, that has always struck me about the Adrian Worthing Council's logo, and that I, I said to Tim in my reply, is that and it's really apparent looking through this list is that it doesn't look like the logo of a local authority um and and looking something the local authority logo vibe is not a good thing <laughs> or a good look right so so this is a good this thing that it doesn't look like it's a local authority logo this is this is very true we we had quite a lot of fun with that i mean it was born of place to go back to our original discussion it's um... mm, tell me more about that so it was okay. I love to. I love talking about that project because it was it was so good. We we delivered it. We took so much shit for it, but as as you would expect, any local government rebranding project, you take it's that always going to be a bag of yeah. And people didn't understand why we spent money on it, and so on and so forth. Um, but we wanted to sort of, so essentially, Avon Worthing, two sovereign councils, joint leadership structure, uh, officer leadership structure, not. Not politics leadership structure, interestingly. When I was there, there were two Tory councils and both two different flavour of Tory, which was just amusing. Um, that sounds yeah, hilarious. It, yeah. it, it, confused, it confused the media, no one, especially when it came to uh, budget yes. settings. Like one, <laughs> one, of them would, one of them kept the, the £5 a week tax credit, the other one cut it. And I had Jonas on the phone going, but they're both Conservatives, how does this work? Two separate councils, um, and so yeah. So essentially, we had these two, these two, these two bodies. The logos have been designed back in the. Let's say back in the day, um, no one yet knew when the logos had been designed to the point where one of the logos, we, no one could find the original artwork files oh and goodness. it was stretched. And the logo that was on everything had a 10% stretch on it because we spent, Scott and I spent ages trying to match up the typeface just mm. to see what we were working with. And we worked out it had to be, a, I want to say Garamond, I can't remember what it was. But with a stretch on it, and it's the only way we can make this wretched thing work. It's because it, over the years, it just got like stretched and saved from JPEG to PNG to bitmap to whatever else, it's and like, it just it's like a marketer's worst nightmare, isn't oh, it? Oh, it was, it was, it was crazy. And we had and with logos that just didn't, you couldn't use them on anything. So it had to be in blocks. It was, uh, and it didn't. And we were rebranding the council subtly underneath. We were rebranding the council, so we changed the language. We were. We're trying to become more open, we're trying to become mm. um, a different type of organisation than what had been before. I'm very, I'm actually very place-based, it was more place-based and certainly we were getting into kind of health conversations, all sorts of milieu that local government didn't exactly play in at the time. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so we, we were working on this, this logo and working out how we could um, kind of bring these two things together. I wanted to, I believe in radical simplicity, the more I can strip back. I'm not saying I'm a minimalist, as you can probably see from all the behind me in my office um but actually in terms of work radical simplicity strip back strip back to the core the authentic peel this is there's a theme here back to the authentic like, 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 
like a planet, uh, of the authentic heart of something. And so we decided not to go black and white because it was simple. It also saves on printing. And it's like it's a very, very small thing, but when you're printing volume letters, so you're writing to every resident a couple of times a year, bit of colour here and there, or you're, re- you're rebranding all of your, um, or you're buying entire new refuse fleet, it's cheaper to do it in one colour. So it actually pays yeah. for itself. Over time, this will, but a few, probably about five, six years, we worked out, it would pay It would pay for itself from just printing prices. Not a, also, an irrelevant consideration for a local authority. I mean, not no. irrelevant for any business, but particularly for a local authority. It, yeah, exactly. And so we, the thing is, we wanted something simple, black and white. It's really strong. You can use it on backgrounds. So what we ended up going for was something that actually could be transparent, so you could put it over another background. As long as it, mm-hmm. the background wasn't like ridiculously crazy, mm-hmm. It would work, and so this uh, Scott worked up some beautiful visuals with shots of, um, I think it was Worthing or Shoreham beachfront, with the logo and then the, the typeface like I've Hadron Worthing Councils, just bold. Mm. I think it was white over this beautiful blue sky and blue sea, and and it just you got the feels, and it was just this thing. It looked modern, it looked fresh. It actually still does. A few years down the line, yeah, it's still it still five does. Five years I think old. Something I love about Scott's work actually is, um, he I think he is very courageous in how bold he yes. is. He is. I remember he, we were working together on a, another project um, when I was, I was freelancing. I brought him in on um, on a property region project I was working on and I was battering my head into trying to sort all websites out. I'm, I'm not a website designer. I can create websites, but I'm, I'm not a designer. I get other people in to do that. And he's like, strip it back, big bold colours, big bold blocks. Don't be scared of big and bold. I was like, okay, mm. okay. Shout to me. Um, <laughs> Please hold my hand. While we do this, I'm scared. The, the, the client loved it, which was great. So that was uh, there. You go. That's what happens when you get a proper designer in the room on something fashion. Yes. But yeah, so we, we we created this logo, and um, it was part of a whole a whole design language. And so we wrote the well, I, I wrote the brand guidelines for it, and got not high, not high and mighty, but all very kind of it's simple, it's bold. This is how we put ourselves into the world. These are this is how we then use words to bring that transparency, that boldness, everything through. So the whole thing actually worked as a, a brand package. It was a rebrand without rebranding. It was, we had to do it on the, the down low. Um, and we had to be quite careful about how we did it because obviously these things get even more excited. But I did describe it when I was selling it to the politicians. I, I was in front of both, I think both cabinets or both senior committees, I can't remember exactly the, the audience, but I sold it to them on the idea that this is the Rolls-Royce hubcap of logos. They looked at me a bit funny at that point because the logo. So if no one has, if no one sees it, we'll put a link in because it's fabulous work. We'll put a link in the, the show notes. Um, but it's the, the round circle with A and W, and then everybody councils underneath. And the joy of it is that whatever orientation you put it in, and because you can strip it back to just the A and W in the circle, it's always the right way up. It never needs to be resized. It never needs to be faffed with. You can move the words next to it. You can move the words underneath. Never on top. That's bad. Okay. But whatever you whatever you do. It's always thought about. Rolls-Royce hubcaps, famously, back in the day, back in the 60s, had some kind of gimbal in them. So that when you were driving along at 60 miles an hour, hearing nothing louder than the ticking of your clock, the outside, the hub, the RR of the Rolls-Royce is always the right way up. Mm. I mean, that's just good brand design. I mean, that's that almost like nice, little right? barcode brand design. Their barcodes are absolutely brilliant. Um, but, yeah, so a brilliant piece. So we, we kind of got... a confused to come back to that but yes we kind of got to this this point and we just wanted something that worked and we actually went round we spent a while poking about in Worthing Town Hall and going up and down so there's some uh, there's the main part of the town hall and then there's kind of stairs that, that go at the back that are on public display and on those stairs you've got um signs old signs from the 30s I think where the building was was built like to public gallery to exit to whatever mm-hmm. we modeled the font on those. Oh, on those. Now, a- now Ada had a much more um, their town, their town hall, town, yeah, civic centre. Sorry, was built in the eighties. Ironically, it was an exact copy of the one that's in Little Hampton, which I also worked in. Strangely, only flipped one hundred and eighty degrees. The designers literally flipped the building one hundred and eighty degrees. That, was that a bit of a? Was that difficult? Was that just weird for you? I didn't really go in very much because it was basically oh, in, the, in the process of being decommissioned and demolished. So I kind of went oh, in it okay. twice. It was also where they filmed. Um, the last time I went in it was for a council meeting and I had to um, I had to go to the little boys' room. I had to walk through a film set, which is really weird because it was the, oh, I can't remember what it's called. It's a TV show that only lasted one season with Ashley someone. 
after thinking of the show, but it was filmed, part of it was filmed in Worthington Hall as the judges' chambers and then Ada mm. Civic Centre as, as the prison. Uh, but of course, it had not. Nice. He had a lot. So it had come down with that bit of heritage. But what we took for Ada, um, the typeface within the circular device mm. is the old Ada typeface. It was very close to the old Ada typeface. So we actually merged between the two, we merged the. I will say, I'll say Futura, I don't think it's Futura, but it's that 30s very yeah. modernist font of Worthing with what Ada had, which was a much more classic serif font brought together around the Rolls-Royce hubcap. And I said, oh, I still love it. You know what? I go back to Worthing every now and again. I've got family who live in Worthing. I see it on the side of bin trucks. I see it on the side of bins. I see it on the side of stuff. And I'm like, that was a damn yeah. good project. It is. And it is a nice, it's a nice piece of art. It's a, it's a nice Lego. Because what, what strikes me about many of the other local authority um, Legos, and this is what I kind of, what I'm thinking about when I say it looks like a local authority um, Lego, is many of them are really busy and, I'm trying to think of how. I want to say really cheap looking, but I want to try and quantify or express that a bit better. There's just something, I suppose, it looks like someone's had a load of ideas and put them into a space. Yeah. Which which is, you know, what I'd call poor design um, mm. or a lack of design thinking. You know, so, oh, this idea, this idea, yeah, let's bung it all together, which, you know, is not a way to get across a message or an identity or to create something memorable yeah. that people connect with and kind of you know and and understand when they see it again what what's being represented absolutely and i think it's really interesting local government logos are really interesting because they are an anchor institution so i was talking to mm. someone recently at, at work so we we're talking about the um incoming integrated care system set up so a local government and the NHS and all the care bodies essentially going to come together and it's a very place-based wellness approach something we're looking at in Adrian Worthing and to be fair I've been in that local government long enough and I'm old enough enough I remember when it was localism I remember when we talked about localism I remember when the clinical commissioning groups first came in mm. they first came in or second time they came in I think I was at Horsham at the time I've seen this work before ICS I think will make it work and the integrated care system I think will make it work better but of course they are so local government is this anchor institution in the, the local community and they have then a place to play mm. and they've got a heritage and that's part of their thing is to protect the heritage so it's like planning typical example mm. protect the heritage make it look beautiful don't build monstrosities did anyone think about that with some of the georgian properties that were then knocked down in brighton to make the 60 skyscrapers probably not another probably not, no. moving on but so they've got this this piece of heritage and so many of them rely on the crests or the shields or things like that mm. um to get that message across to have that visible badge of place but not many of them interestingly i don't think take that on the next stage so the anchor institutions are sometimes the biggest employer um They've got their their literal crest, but there's a stag on a, a shield or whatever it might be. Does that turn up in the sort of some of the shop local things? Is that mm -hmm. then a badge that works elsewhere, or is it just a badge for local authority? In a lot of cases, it's a badge for local authority. And looking through that list, I'm reminded just how many local authorities have got badges. They, they there are a lot of there are, a lot of, and do you know what that's reminded me of as well. Um, so the University of Sussex rebranded. Oh yes, I worked there for years. I studied there, so it's kind of something that things about that just across my awareness so, so that's why I would I would talk about that rather than anything else but they rebranded um in the, I don't even know how many years ago it was now it's probably it might even be kind of something along the lines of 10 years ago um but they had a badge they you know had a her, 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 heraldic crest um, as their logo which was which was kind of rather lovely and there was a lot of love for that Okay. Um, however, it was one of these kind of you know, as is often the case with these, it's kind of quite busy. Can't really have it too. Can't really have it too small. No one really knows what it means. Um, and they rebranded to the very simple, very bold US logo. That's which, right. Yes. Which now, for me, you know, is it, having been associated with the University of Sussex for a long time, um, you know, just feels feels right. It, it's exactly what I think of. You know, when I see that, I think of the university. When I think of the university, I think of that logo. Um, and there's just, they, I think the you know part of the thing for Sussex is they absolutely needed to, they needed to establish themselves as um, as an organisation with a future, yeah. an organisation that wasn't just looking to its past, an organisation that was you know that was 
yeah, it was heading into the future. Um, and it's easy to spout off a lot of cliches about that, but actually, I think it's really, really important with in, in education. Um, and there's been there's been so much change in higher education, and, and there's more to come, I suspect. So, yeah, really, and again, bold. And, and the other thing is, it's just you know, there's another facet to this, which is it's just easier on the eye. It's just yeah. less cognitive, less risk <laughs> of cognitive overload. And yes. I think I think that just makes life easier for people. It does, yeah, it does absolutely. And I think that's that's where finding good designers like Scott, mm. who's one of the best designers I've ever worked with, and also one of the best business people, I think. Um, but that's why they're worth their weight in gold. And I'll never hear I'll never hear a bad word said about the amount of cash paid to a very, very, very good designer because you're not buying you're not actually buying the end product. I mean we didn't we had to work within a local authority, a small local authority budget to do what we did for Labour mm-hmm. and we did it very, very well. Um, other authorities have got really lambasted for spending six figure sums on theirs. But they're also getting people to write the branding guidelines. Now I I wrote the branding guidelines so a couple of days all week of my time went into that and so on. Um, but the end product is not what you see. The end product is the logo. But all of the work behind it, all of the thinking, all the experimenting, all of the trying, all the shifting, all the, should we change fonts? Should we just go wandering around the back of Worthing Town Hall to find <laughs> pieces of heritage? Oh, yeah. Pieces actually. of history, yeah. Yeah, and make, this, and make this thing in and of the place, and authentically in and of the place, but also have that nod to the future. So it's that really, again, it's, I don't know, you buy a, a vacuum cleaner, of which there are many, um, and one of the most famous British, I don't know, because he's pissed off to another country now um mr brexit but anyway another that's for another podcast um one of the more famous british designs um like a thousand prototypes before they made the first one that's Mm. kind of constant iteration that's what you're buying that's the value of good really good design i'd add something to that as well i think you're buying all of that and you're buying something else also which is all the possibilities that um, piece of design mm-hmm. opens up for the future. So yes. one of the things, so when I worked with Scott, gosh, Scott, Scott, you're getting a lot of airtime tonight. Um, <laughs> one of the things when I worked with Scott um, on a rebrand project was that the design thinking he brought to it has, you know, will will definitely um, affirm the positioning of the company I was working with and kind of make any marketing that that they do work way harder for yeah. them. Um, and also, it just opened up different ways of communicating visually for them. Um, and it, there was a bit, there was a bit in the presentation he first gave me when I got really—I mean, I loved it—but I got really excited with um, kind of a, a pin that he designed with kind of elements that um, of kind of particular shape that you could just pull out and use that shape, use that shape around an image of something else, use that shape in, you know, in the corner of a slide or, in, you know, and it was, and, and, and so you wouldn't even, eventually they'll get to a point where their audience don't need to see the logo. They just need to see mm. that shape in the right colors and they'll know, they'll know what yeah. they know the company's work that they're looking at. And that just got me so excited. It just, it's, it's an investment um, into opening up so much in the future and, and making whatever communications you do work that much harder for you. Absolutely. And I think there's, there's a real brand bravery piece. I mean, there, I remember there was something, I'm going to say it was last year. It could have been sometime any time in the last month, year, three years. But the Golden Arches in Canada, I think, I don't think they did it here, but Mackie D's were breaking mm. their logo and they were playing with the type and like the M. So mm. if you drove on the freeway, if you drove past the exit for the nearest Mackie D's, the arrow, the U-shaped arrow echoed almost exactly like half or a third even of one of the M's mm. with a little arrow pointing at the end. And you just, and you knew, you knew exactly what it said, you knew exactly who it was for, it was the corporate red, it was the corporate uh, yellow, mm. etc. But that kind of bravery is really difficult to get in clients. It's a sort of bravery that wins awards. And there is obviously that whole kind of thing about designers, marketers, etc. creating work to win awards. And I think that probably Mackie possibly yeah. did. I can't, I can't really remember. It's the sort of thing that got a lot of people very, very excited. Um but having that bravery, but having that bravery in an authentic way, there's a lot of work out there that goes out and goes, oh, we're brave, we're brave, we're brave, we'll do this beautiful advert, we'll, I don't know, we'll do whatever it is. It's not actually effective. Mm. It doesn't sell any more stuff. In fact, in one, I was reading something, uh, I can't remember what it was now, um, someone on LinkedIn, probably, it was basically dissected like the last few years, winners from probably Can or um, 
one of the big advertising festivals, one of them, their market share actually went down. The um, winners. Oh, oh, that's their market share went bad. down. And he's like, oh, that's bad. Hello. So he spent all this money produced a beautiful thing that everyone's going, oh, that's totally exciting. Um, mm. Didn't actually do anything for the business. That's and that then most unfortunate. Yeah, and that then I think, but then you get that piece about it's design washer, it's green washer, it's pink washer, whatever the hell washer is, authentic mm. wash place, wash people, wash purpose, wash <laughs> past wash, nostalgia wash. Um, There's a bit of a laundry theme tonight as well. Yeah, wash it, wash it forty, uh, wash it twenty, kill the fish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Uh, so yeah, so there's, there's that that thing about having that bravery, about having that strength of design, and in some cases, in Mackie D's, use that. It is a heritage brand. It stands for a lot of things for me. Not personally, I remember having the old Big Mac when I was younger, but it is a it's an American story. It's that American kind of great American fast food story. That's what comes through to me. Well, I suppose it, 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 it is a heritage brand, time. isn't it? But do you know what those words together, McDonald's as a heritage brand, just don't sit right with me. No. But yeah, I suppose it is, isn't it? Because it's got a long history. Yeah, and it it roots into so many, so many different things, and it's it's been in so many places, and it is mm. in so many places. Um, but you have to have, be able to have that bravery. You have to have that clarity and that strength of design and to go back to the local government piece just pick up local government because we were talking about them but the fuzzy faffy fiddly floppy fossy weird logos with odd typefaces you just can't use yeah you're never really going to have that great design even great like interior design i think kind of arad and um like, uh, brutalism don't get me started on architecture and brutalism but those things they're very simple Actually, the best, like best furniture, isn't, in my opinion, and the stuff that seems to sell and seems to keep coming back into style, is the stuff that's well made. It's simple. There's a heritage, there's a story to it. It's rooted in something, not mm. in fuss, fluff, and frippery. There's a, there's a lot of Fs there. I'm loving the illustration. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of Fs. Fabulous. Which, <laughs> fabulous. We'll we'll take we'll take that one. <laughs> we'll take that one. But then actually, the last thing, just quickly, because I know we've, we've both got um, dinners and exciting things. But the last thing I know we wanted to quickly talk about was just the difficulty of finding good information around our professional sources. Are you finding yes. that at the moment? I don't know about you, but I'm just. I've been reading blogs for a long time. I don't want to know how many years now about marketing, advertising, and branding, and. And it all kind of comes around every year, two years, three years. There's a, what's marketing ever done for us? Why can't marketing get a seat at the table? All that we should be talking about people. People buy our products. Why are we talking about products when we should be talking about people? It just seems very cyclical. And I'm struggling to break out and I'm struggling to find new sources. Not podcasting, but podcasting onto one side. There's some amazing work going on out there. But just stuff to read and sit with and have a cup of tea and just digest slowly or get really angry about and post in, in the comments it's just so i've got i've got a radical suggestion for you which is pretty much pretty much what i do um don't don't look for marketing stuff to read <laughs> I, I, something i've said to you before is i really struggle and i've said to you before about this i don't read anything really about marketing on you know i don't really read marketing does that make me a bad member of my profession I, I find it deeply uninteresting for the most part. What I do read, I, I read because you've shared it um, or you know somebody else who I really trust has shared it. So um, Jane Byfield is a, is a, is a good source yeah. of, of interesting stuff. Um, and I, I yeah, so, of course, if you stop filtering the marketing stuff for me, what am I going to do? I don't know. But but my, my suggestion is um, read far more widely. So what, and because you're, when I, I think we had this conversation years ago and I said, God, I don't do this. Am I, you know, am I crap? Am I, am I, am I doing the wrong thing? Am I limiting my career essentially? And he said, well, the thing you do, Louise, is you read and you absorb stuff from so many different disciplines, um, which aren't at all, no, aren't particularly marketing related. So I, yeah, I read a lot about poetry. Um, I, I find LitHub is a really interesting source of, of articles which aren't really about marketing um, but they're sometimes about writing often about stories and narratives um, you know it's not it's not completely unrelated um, and given my academic studies which was all about being very interdisciplinary um, it, it doesn't really surprise me when I think about it that that I would have a very broad source of, of um, influences and I would kind of 
draw from them you know what I find interesting and maybe that is the answer to kind of breaking out of this cyclical kind of um thing mm. of well you know every five years we're going to write about this you know maybe, maybe that is just what happens if you're kind of going around in the same kind of sector or industry actually there's only so many ways you can kind of really um kind of talk about the same issues that crop up and of course you the can you're gonna get you know any this happens in any profession any industry but of course you just kind of there is a certain amount of reinforcing each other's beliefs and world views mm. it's it's inevitable ivory tower um, syndrome yeah exactly so so maybe that's the thing maybe it's time for you to broaden out a bit yeah no i agree i mean i've got it i was reflecting the other day because i, I used feedly for Again, more years than I can care to count. So, good old RSS reader when um, Google killed Google Reader. <laughs> the day I still mourn. Um, first world problems. When they killed that, I moved over to Feedly. And it's great. You can subscribe to pretty much anything you want. So, I've, I've subscribed to things like Daily Goods. I uh, used to subscribe to Futurism, but they just always do with adverts now. Uh, various anthropology sources. So, I, I draw that in. But in terms of yeah, in terms of, kind of professional development, I've also noticed that the people who were writing quite a lot, the organisations who were writing quite a lot, they're all just, they're not anymore. Mm. And then what they do, like, it hasn't got that vim and that vigour that it once had. It's maybe because I'm older and potentially more cynical. Um, but yeah, I've just kind of noticed that the things that are tailing off, and again, things technology hasn't really moved, I don't think. There's been new iterations of the same thing. So when the iPhone came out, mm. it's like, oh, exciting. Everything else ever since then has been just a, a different version of the, the same thing so been a, a bit of a fallow period Orlando Wood talks about this quite a lot he's, he's amazing to follow on, on LinkedIn pop a, a link to his profile in um but yeah I just I just find it really interesting I, I, but like you I then I think well actually I'm more interested in that bigger picture that bigger system and what mm. can we draw from so occasionally there's things like the groundedness piece that just that catch my eye but that's that's really interesting I want, and I, I want to share that because I think that the people that like you and the, I'm connected with and I'm friends with will find it interesting there's not the other stuff. It's just like, oh, God, if this is what marketing folk are reading. God, so I, I, worry, I, I genuinely worry. Because it gets a lot about effectiveness, a lot about ROI, all the good things. None about that passion, none about that vim, that vigor. And it's just, how do we break that? How do we, how can we be that thing where we can bring in more content into the ecosystem? We can expand those, help those horizons expand, which will make the creative better. It gives us more empathy with other people, um, more mm. worldviews into things. What do we need? What do we need? Or actually, am I just looking in all the wrong places? Please don't tell me to go to TikTok. Um, I'm but not actually, going to tell you to go to TikTok. No, um, no don't tell me. No. I, tried, I tried it once. It was quite early on. I just after it launched. It was full of children literally jumping through doors. I was like, no, I don't it, need to see children jumping through doors. Uh, and, and so, and yeah, and it's, it's it looking at the wrong place. Actually, one thing I suppose from the listeners, I would love to know what people are reading, uh, specifically mm. blogs, specifically online sources wise there's a million really interesting books out there but that content you can dip in now i would love to know what people are reading what people are absorbing um obviously podcast recommendations are, are great too what's out there what reliably gets you excited we got copy renters back that was like i was so pleased the other day copy renter reappeared I, i'm um, following now i'm following oh, that based on the strength of your recommendation it's amazing copy renters copy renters ranter, fab takes me back years but what are people reading? Actually, are there more interesting sources out there? Um, who's on the edge of, I suppose, of marketing thinking, actually on the edge of the discipline, not necessarily in the tactics, not necessarily on the edge of SEO or PPC or any of the other acronyms, but really pushing this amazing, vital, vibrant, beautiful part of the communication spectrum forward. Who, who is it? Who's there? Who's there? I want to know. I want to know them. Show yourselves. Them. Yes, show yourselves. I want to be introduced. <laughs> I want to read what's being out there. So, God, if anyone's got any recommendations, please comment. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, that's a good place to finish, I think, with a, a strong, strong question of the audience. Uh, the future of marketing may depend on you. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> and the present certainly does. Yes. Well, we, we yeah. A, same for any any industry isn't it we do need to be thinking differently but we do we do yeah we do need that and to connect with the passion and and the thing that makes us all think thing that makes us think yes i love the work i do yes exactly you know that that the people the place i was about to say the purpose (laughs) we'll grow from the past but where are we going for the future that's the that's the exciting thing and on that happy note it's been an honor and a privilege and a pleasure thank you 
It's been delightful. So, so let's draw a line. Let's draw a line onto episode number 11. I don't know what that is in bingo terms. One and one. Two sticks or something. I don't know. I have to learn bingo terminology. Oh, now we're going to get I know what figures. it is, but I'm not going to say it because it now seems very sexist. Oh, is it that? Oh, I thought that was 88. No, okay. Uh, well, um, equally, 88 is also very sexist, but uh, yeah. Bloody. We have to have to find have to find new bingo calls. So on that note, yes, strong strong question to the listeners. Less bingo, more more yes, listener. Less bingo, more recommendations for marketing type reading. Um, that and sounds have, good. Have a fabulous evening, Neil. Will do. You too. We'll see you just before Christmas. How exciting! Hey, okay. bye. Bye.